Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Rework Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe of clifflow.com in Scenic Teenic, New Jersey, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman of conjuremanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by... Conjure.com in North Carolina, bringing us to the topic of weather spells and omens. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo conjure with work as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up for the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up for the co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Miss Kat? Hi. How are things in uh, New Jersey? Pretty good. Got some good clients this week. Um, nothing much to talk about there, but it's been a good time. How are you doing? Well, carrying on from the theme of last week's pre-show conversation, um, I am still dealing with people who are having trouble on the job. So many people calling up their managers, um, not treating them right. They want to know they just got this job after a long time of unemployment. Should they quit it and try for another one? They're going to be up for a performance review. They, they're frightened. Their uh, manager has lost their ever-loving mind, and they want to know whether they should report the manager to HR. It's like I have started running a, a fortune-telling service for employment. It's an employment fortune-telling service. Very odd. Um, I've also been doing a mm-hmm. little bit of uh, love work, you know, as usual. Also, things at the Lucky Mojo shop have gotten really interesting. Um, I came down to work um, one day last week and was met with all of the employees with a brand new idea they wanted to get my approval on, which is, um, I'm not going to tell it all, but it's a, a new kind of product we're going to be offering. And it's going to be um, fun, economical, and um, changeable. And they're going to be doing um, videos about it, and um, they're in charge of it. It's really great. It's a little, um, a little idea for some, for some fun magic. That's what I'm going to call it, fun magic. And it involves, of course, our shop cat, Bootsy. Right, so there you go. That was the hint you're going to get. <laughs> um, other than that, I've just been working on my usual things. Um, big shout out to my grandson Max, who uh, came up and helped with um, house cleaning and and uh, sorting and straightening and all of the things that he does so well. And 
think that's about it for me. I've been working on Patreon, of course. Oh, and we've had some meetings about the upcoming 2023 Hoodoo Heritage Festival. And you may be seeing some videos that have come out, including videos that advertise the learning portal where you can get older workshops from previous years' worth of Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival uh, for $25 a piece. And you get the PDFs, you get the the video, and you get the Q&A. In some, many cases, most cases, you get the Q&A along with it as well. So check that out. And that's at um, hoodooworkshops.com. And uh, that's being worked on by, among other people, Papa G and Reverend James, who's going to be with us later today on this show. So that's it for me. How about you, Contraban? What's going on in your world? Things are, are busy as, as usual. I'm playing a little bit of a email catch-up, though I think that by tomorrow... I should be caught up with all emails. So that is something I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, as anyone who does any sort of significant email work or anyone who lives in the 21st century to the test, our lives are spent way too much on email. So I'm looking forward to seeing that number finally get to a zero or at least to a manageable amount tomorrow. Um, and speaking of, of jobs, I actually had a really interesting client this past week. So I've been doing work uh, as I, as you mentioned, for the past few weeks, it's been a lot of anxiety around the future, particularly around work. Like, am I going to have a job? Am I next year? Is my job sustainable? Am I going to be happy? A lot of anxiety in that regard. And so I've been doing a, a lot of readings. And just a few weeks back, we took on I took on a client who was having some difficulties at work with a boss. And this supervisor and boss was very clearly out to get them. And the reading had indicated that they would be a hindrance to any type of promotion work, um, but had also begun slandering them to the higher up. So we determined that work was needed here. And so we did a combination of uh, doll baby work to really shut this person up in regards to their ability to slander and harm and whatnot. And uh, jar work for success, so come working both hands, as the traditional root doctors would say. And just this past week, we got some really good confirmation where this person, the boss, has been ousted. They're now gone from the position, no longer a supervisor. And my client is now going to be uh, working to get the position that is now opened up. So fingers crossed that we're successful. We would say that this we're halfway to the finishing line. We got rid of the hindrance, and now we need to move the client into a position of seniority themselves. So we'll see how that goes. But the first hint of good news has definitely come our way as we got rid of the boss, which was a very, very big source of, of uh, strife in this person's life. So a little bit of happy news for December that we're we're starting to clear out those blockages and setting the way for a successful and prosperous 2023. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Yeah, it's a we've been through um a little bit of a meat grinder lately. I think mm. many of us have and I think uh, a happy and prosperous <laughs> new year is Something we can all look forward to. It's been it's been a little strange out there. Um, well, today, uh, sort of metaphorically speaking, we're dealing with the weather, and the weather is going to be our topic. And this is going to be about weather lore, predicting weather, and also spells 
to change incoming weather or ameliorate it. So this topic is being brought to us by Reverend James. So the first thing to do is to say hello to Reverend James. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Miss Cat. Thank welcome, you. And thanks welcome. for the shout out about the um, <clears throat> Hoodoo Portal, Lucky Mojo, uh, the uh, Learning Portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing a lot of um, getting ready for Christmas, and you know, getting ready to see a lots of family that we just saw for Thanksgiving, and um, doing lots of candle work with our candle ministry at FaultFaithMinistries.com, and. Um, doing lots of readings on love as well. Um, many of my clients are coming to me uh, calling about love around this time of year. Um, I, I personally would have thought it would have been, like you talked about, you know, more money-related, but it seems to be for me um, I'm getting lots of love clients. Well, you got them all. <laughs> Good for you. But I sort of nostalgic for the days of all those love clients. I have a few, I shouldn't say. But the number of uh, financial clients has um, overwhelmed them. Well, um, let's talk about the weather. As usual, when we bring a topic like this before us, the guest brings the topic. But I kind of set the table with the silverware and the cover plate. So um, weather folklore is something that goes back many, many, many generations. Certainly as long as written language exists, we see examples of this. There also are folk sayings which are transmitted orally. And particularly in the European uh, tradition, they are transmitted by means of rhyme, both in the Nordic rhyming and the... um, Celtic rhyming, English, Anglo-Saxon rhyming, Germanic rhyming. All of those have rhyming traditions of uh, spell work and prognostication. So I'm going to be speaking up for some of those older forms of looking at weather lore. And um, But for starters, I'm going to turn this over to Reverend James. Well, um, I I guess where I'd like to start is kind of my interest in doing weather lore, you know, weather magic and and whatnot. Um, It kind of started whenever I was really young, and I got very interested in in magic to begin with. And I would always come up to my great-grandparents' house in the mountains here in North Carolina, where I live now, and um, it would always be very windy, and it would, we would have gusts that would come through down the mountain into the valley. Um, So it was very sporadic. And since I was very interested in magic and things like that, and um, it's not necessarily that my great-grandparents didn't discourage it either. They're the ones that taught me how to do dowsing and and things like that, and about the the tales of the Cherokee little people, which they um, attribute to um, moving the leaves and and affecting weather in some ways. Um, I would sit outside, and we they had one of these, um, I, I don't really know what you call it. I guess it's kind of like a windmill, but it's one of those little metal wind windmill things that would turn with the wind and spin. And oh, I would sit well, outside. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you mean like a pinwheel type thing? Sort of, but like a, a large one, a, very, a, a really large metal oh, one. Was this actual, an actual windmill, like for pumping water, or was it one of those made out of discarded bleach bottles? 
I would imagine it would you no know, this would this is something that's like a aluminum um kind of uh structure that has a, a, a little metal windmill on top and I see. Uh, a little I see. Yeah, a little flag uh, in may, the back. I, I'm still I'm I'm still digging here and how tall was it? I would say it's kind of hard for me to judge now because I'm a lot taller than I was <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> um, but I would say it was maybe about seven feet tall because it was a little ah, taller okay. than the adults so, around me. Okay, so it qualifies as yard art of a windmill, yeah. not a windmill. <laughs> gotcha. There, I, I'm gonna. I just have to jump in on this because I grew up in California, and um, windmill or pinwheel. Um, yard art is not as common here, never was as common as when I moved out to uh, places like um, Illinois and Missouri and traveled through the Smokies and the Appalachians and even the Catskills. They have, their wind is more interesting, I guess. And this kind of yard art is found all in, in rural areas, all around there. And I know, I now know what you're talking about, miniature windmills, but they don't they don't do anything. In other words, they're not generating Yeah, they don't have a function. <laughs> they have no function. They're yard art. Got it. The the weirdest ones are the ones made out of discarded bleach bottles. They're kind of cute in a way. Okay, onward. I'm sorry for interrupting, but I had to clarify that. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Um, so I would sit outside, and um, there wasn't really a whole lot to do here in the mountains. Um, my my great-grandparents, they were already very elderly, um, so – you know, we would kind of just piddle around outside sometimes. Um, that's They actually taught me to forage, you know, finding uh, bloodroot and, and ginseng and things like that. Um, but I would sit outside, um, and as you say, the wind is interesting, and, and, you know, it changes directions often here on the mountains um, with the different ways that the wind comes in. So I would sit there and try to you know, control the the direction of the wind to get the windmill to go in certain directions or to get the wind to stop or to blow. So I would sit there and concentrate and kind of repeat like a mantra, like, come wind, come, or stop wind, stop. <laughs> and uh, that, kind of, that kind of was like my intro into doing uh, weather magic as a child. Um, and... I, I guess that, that's kind of like my introduction into that. Um, but there were uh, lots and lots of things that my family talked about um, and as far as predicting the weather versus really controlling it, at least in my family. Um, so there were things like, um, you know, the, the woolly bears. So mm-hmm. things related to animals. Um, which we well, now have wait a minute. lot of stop, around stop, here. Stop, stop, I got I to gotta jump in again. There's about mm-hmm. um, 150 people going to listen to this show who don't know what you mean by the woolly bears. So how about you explain right. what a woolly bear is, okay? Right. So a woolly bear or woolly worm is a kind of a caterpillar. It's very fuzzy. And it has a black band and an orange band or, or two orange bands. It depends. Um, it's a it's a coloration of orange and black, and depending on the thickness of the black fur, helps foretell whether or not you're going to have a bad winter. Um, also, when they start to move, um, when you start seeing them around, makes a difference. So some of the things would be like the the, the bigger the black band, the worse the winter. The thicker they are, the worse the winter. Most of these things point to a bad, harsh winter. 
um, if you see a lot of them, or perhaps if they're very slow moving. Um, so it's not just the, you know, their fur, it's also the movement or when they come out. So if you start to see them crawling before the first frost, that also is a foretelling of worse weather. So most of my family had told me about the black band. That's what you hear most often. Um, but in my research, um, whenever I was doing a lot of, you know, learning about weather over the years, I found other things that it, it's more than just that one thing. And I found that very interesting. Um, I also noticed that there's kind of like um, I had just a handful of different categories that weather prediction falls into. Um, so like the woolly worm or the woolly bear would be a, a, like an animal or an insect category is what I would call that. Um, and then there's looking at different plants, uh, different astrological movements and um, astrological signs. And also, which I find kind of funny, um, which we'll, we'll talk about more of these as we go on, I'm sure. Um, but one of the things that I found most interesting was that there was weather lore about foretelling future weather based on current weather. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, there's, uh, a, there's a whole tradition. You mentioned woolly bears, and I'm going to mention something else. Um, and thank you, Balkan Diviner, in the chat for pointing out that, yes, I try to make uh, it obvious to international listeners what we're talking about. Um, there's another thing that is uh, very common in America and not found other places, and that is Groundhog Day. And uh, groundhogs yeah. are not hogs. They are actually large rodents, and they hibernate during the winter. And there's a, a belief that on a certain day of the year, when the groundhog comes out, if it sees its shadow, it will go right back in and there will be six more weeks of winter. And if it doesn't see its shadow, it stays out and um, goes out and eats. And so um, this, these are American ideas, the woolly bears and Groundhog Day. But there are other folklore that has been translated into American uh, European um, and even African American and even some Asian Americans are aware of it, but it comes from Europe originally. My favorite one of these, and I've mentioned it before, is red sky in the morning, sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight. Well, if you're in Kansas, what would that mean? You're, there, you're not a sailor. It's obviously something from the British Isles, and particularly it's from the western side of the British Isles because the prevailing wind goes from west to east and a red sky in the morning would show clouds when the sun comes up and clouds will be coming your way, the storm will be coming your way, so red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And if at night the red sky or the clouds by the sunset are to the east, red sky at night, sailors delight, the storm has passed over. So some of these lores that are so um, self-evident in Europe are then translated into American uh, lore. And I was surprised when I moved to Missouri to hear uh, red sky in the morning, farmers take warning. Red sky at night, farmers delight. But what are farmers really supposed to take warning of? What, maybe the hay crop will get rained on? The warning really is for sailors. So we attempt to translate or transpose 
weather lore from areas which have a certain form of weather to areas that may not. For instance, until I moved to Missouri, I never heard about nipple clouds. Have you ever heard of nipple clouds, James? Uh, I have a lot of interest in clouds, so I, I, I have heard of it, but I can't recall what it signifies. Ah. Well, nipple clouds are clouds that foretell a tornado. And they what ah. happens is there's some sort of a down pressure of air, and they form like little nipples. And then they begin to form breasts, and then one of them will take off and be a tornado. And they are called nipple clouds <laughs> in Missouri. I never saw them in California. I've never seen them since mm. I moved back to California. But I saw lots of nipple clouds. And what they say, what I was told by an older woman there, a woman named Parthenia. I love that was her first name, Parthenia Clipper. She said, when you see them nipple clouds and the sky turns green, get in the cellar. Yeah, we we always listen, we were always told in my neck of the woods about the green sky. Mhm. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and speaking more on what you were talking about, the red sky in the morning, sailors' warning. I I, I compiled a few things around that um, uh, lore that's a little interesting. I found two different places um, in written text that it was mentioned, and that was one. In Shakespeare, um, he said, he wrote, um, A red morn that ever ye yet beckoned, wreck to the seaman, tempest to the field. And oh, in nice. Matthew's Gospel, 16.3, um, Christ says to the Pharisees, And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. And I thought that was very interesting. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, in most, because of the way the planet spins, in most places there's a steady pressure of wind blowing from west to mm. east. Where I live out here on the California coast, we have inshore and offshore breezes every day. So we don't have a steady wind here. We have, oh, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, wind is coming in. We get up in the morning, eh, the wind is going out. It's just the way we are in, in our area. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> anyway, the chat log is filling up with comments about nipple clouds. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot Continuing of on a Go little, for it. <laughs> There's a lot of these really Continuing cool, on a little uh, bit. With, oh, I'm sorry, Conjuran. Can I, let, me just, let me just ju- jump in real quick. There's, there's a lot of really cool ways in which the contemporary weather, the weather you're currently experiencing, can be used to foretell weather that is about to come. Rain is the most common one. So uh, on the East Coast in Virginia, we were always told that if the rain was foretold, then it would last for a long time, meaning that it's going to be a rainy season or it's going to be a whole rainy day. But if rain shows up shortly, I think the thing is short notice will soon pass. Uh, the other, In other words, if the rain is unexpected, then it's going to be short-lived. And so that's one way in which people would take the contemporary weather to determine whether it's going to continue or not. Is the rain going to be long-lasting rain? Ah, it was foretold. That means it's going to be for a couple of days. Or, oh, this came upon us suddenly. It's going to end in a few hours. So you can use the weather itself. And this type of folklore is often passed down and has quite a bit of uh, truth to it. Um, in Philadelphia, for example, we have a lot of about um, uh, coldness, right? Particularly around winter, you're told if there's a clear moon, 
you'll have frost soon. And the idea being that if you can see the moon at night in the morning, you're going to have chilliness. And this is generally done to let people know that their cars are going to frost over so to defrost your car. So what would you do? You check the moon. Can you see the moon on at night? And is it clear? Then you're going to have frost soon. That's a those are those are good ones. I'm I'm still busy in the chat posting pictures of nipple clouds, which are oh, getting um, uh, large-eyed, amazed uh, uh, emojis. Yep, nipple clouds—they really exist. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just uh, funny. Speaking um, about the moon, Conjurman, um, there's a, I, I gathered a few um, tidbits about it as well. Um, I know a, a lot of what I was taught um, uh, focused more around um, the snow with the moon. Um, uh, the one thing that I was told, uh, the main one, was that uh, a ring around the moon in winter, if you count the stars um, within it, that will be uh, about how many days it would take to snow, which I, I would think kind of uh, translates a bit to rain as well during like the warm season. Um, and also that uh, when the, the, the crescent moon, the, the, the way that it's positioned in the sky, if it's pointed down, um, then the, uh, it, it will rain because the, the, the moon is pouring out the water versus if, it's point, if, the, if the crescent horns are pointing up, then it, it's catching the rain so that it won't rain um, in, 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 in the near future. Are you all familiar with any of those? No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> That's the wonderful thing about weather lore. I mean, everybody's got their own little thing mm-hmm. on it. You know, everyone's got their own way of looking at it. Um, the The one about the smoke coming down the chimney, is another one that was I only heard in the countryside. Nobody talks about that anymore. Um, and I, I, when I was young, I read a novel in which someone said, yeah, the smoke came down the chimney. I thought, what are they talking about? And there's actually two forms of that. There's literally the weather so bad that the smoke is blown down the chimney and out your stove into your kitchen. And I've had that happen in Missouri where there were extreme weather. And the other one, I found out about later when I was living in the countryside, which is the um, the air pressure is so low that the heavy particles in the smoke kind of come out of the chimney and fall downward, and um, the, the smoke goes down. And that just means low pressure is happening. And those were things that, again, I, I read about, had never seen them. When I, once I experienced them, I went, hey, those old folks knew something. Smoke goes down the chimney. I've heard of that, but I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very weird. In fact, just, um, just yesterday, we we have an outdoor altar where we burn candles for our church clients, Missionary Independent Spiritual Church. And um, my grandson and I were walking by, and he said, "I haven't smelt the candles like this before." And we were just had a storm came through the. Um, Air pressure had lowered, the sky was lowering, the fog was lowering, everything was coming down, but it wasn't raining yet. And what I what I realized all of a sudden was that the the scent of the carbon from the burning candles and the smoke from the burning candles, which are under a, a um, 
pyramidal-shaped metal canopy was was so coming down that it came down along the ground and was at the nose level of my grandson. And um, But, you know, that's to me, that meant a storm was on the way, which indeed it was, but I could have found that out from the weather report. You know? but, it, but it was very <laughs> obvious. If I didn't have a weather report, that was smoke coming down. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about a few other um, weather ideas. There's there's a couple of good books, and I'm going to put their names through the chat uh, here. Um, one of them is uh, from uh, 1911. And it's called Weather and Folklore of Peterborough and District by Charles Dack, and it is available on. Um, Gutenberg.org because it's in the public mm-hmm. domain. If someone wants to find that URL, that would be really great. And the other one is called A Medley of Weather Lore Collected by M.E.S. Wright and published by Horace G. Common in Burnmouth, uh, England, in 1913. So these were collections that were part of the English rising interest in folklore which was very um, popular um, hobby topic for the um, you know countryside people to participate in, and also city people to a lesser extent. And so um, these books uh, really are wonderful collections of 19th century and even earlier beliefs. Both of them are organized by the month of the year, and I'm just going to give um, a sample of a couple of months. So um, the the book by um, Wright, which is this collection from all over the place, um, there's things from um, Spain and they're from poets and there's from Thomas Tusser's uh, 500 Points of Husbandry, and um, which is a fantastic book on uh, lore of all types. And um, so I'm just going to... Um, uh, Here's one of Thomas Tusser. So peas and beans in the wane of the moon, who soweth them sooner, he soweth too soon, that they with the planet may rest and rise and flourish with bearing most plentiful wise. So this is about not so much the weather, but it's about you have to be in the right season, but you have to do it if the moon is waning. I'm going to give you another one from this book. Um, um, here's one. A frosty winter means a dusty March, and a rain about April and another about Lammastide, when the corn begins to fill, is worth a plowful of gold and all her pins their till. I don't know what pins means in this context, but it's basically predicting a series of weather events. A frosty winter, a dusty March, meaning no rain, and then it rains in April, and then again it rains at Lammastide, and then you'll have a really good crop of grain, is what they're saying. And I'm going to read one more from this book. Um, it says, There is a tradition that twin lambs are scarce in leap years. So this is, not again, not specifically whether it's more like calendar lore, that um, that leap years, which are years which are divided by four but not ending with a zero, that twin lambs are not born in such years. Now, um, this kind of lore 
people pass it around. And in these days, common now, people don't um, have such a belief in this stuff. And so it begins to shatter and fall apart, and it begins to become something that is more, um, oh, I guess, maybe I should say more a random piece that grandmother remembered, right? Twin lambs aren't born in leap year. But all of this kind of weather lore depends on linking two things. A this means a that. And so it's a very simpler a form of mnemonic of holding folk wisdom. It could be, you know, when the groundhog sees his shadow, six weeks of winter, that kind of thing, or the woolly bears. If this, then that. So that's one way to look at these phenomena. That makes me think of programming languages. <laughs> it if is. this, then that. <laughs> it, that's a very um, interesting comment. Yes, I get that. Um, absolutely. Well, what's particularly fascinating about this type of weather lore is just how accessible it is. We often talk about divination as the practice of a specialist, right? We talk about how uh, magic even as a practice of a specialist in which an individual who is an expert in the study of omens, right? Like if you want to interpret your dreams, you go to a dream interpreter. We have to consult some form of lore around it. You want to read a horoscope reading, you've got to go to an astrologer. Whereas weather phenomenon is much more uh, about folk traditions. It's about what your grandmother told you. It's about knowing um, from experience that when the moon looks a certain way or when the air smells a certain way, then I remember growing up and people would say things like, rain is on the way after sniffing the air. And I always was like, mm-hmm. what the hell does that mean? What the hell does that mean? As a kid, you don't, you don't know what it is until you grow up in that area for a while and go, oh, I think I know what they're talking about. You can smell a change in the air or a shift in the wind. So the, the folk component of other lore, whether divination and whether magic is quite unique in that regard, in that it is accessible to everybody. I mean, I remember uh, quite distinctly, you know, being told that if you ever can see the ring around the moon, you're, it's going to be raining within the next couple of days. Like, that was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see the ring around the moon, you're going to have rain in the next couple of days. Uh, and so people would plan in that regard, even more so than the meteorologist or the, or the weatherman. Uh, if someone saw a ring around the moon, you're going to get your rain gear out. <laughs> so these folk traditions are built off of the experiential. That is, people living in an area, understanding the climate, understanding how these things are related. If this, then that it may sound like programming language, and that's because it is a type of language. It's the language of experience. If you see this, this is going to happen. If this happens, this other thing will happen. Why? Because we've seen it attested to over and over and over again. But you also, um, I'm sorry, so were you trying to say something, Kat? Oh, I was just going to say one of the things that's most important in conveying these to the future generations is the rhyming scheme of English. And oh, German. yeah, totally. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> I yeah, think that makes rhyme, it easier for matter. everybody to remember and to pass it down, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, April showers bring May flowers, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. But and also those those rhymes are in themselves. They can be charms and incantations. Rain, rain, go away, come again another day. 
That's right. Yeah. If if Christmas Day on a Thursday be a windy winter, we shall see. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of looking at one month's weather to predict another month's weather, and um, speaking about you know being accessible to everyone, I came across something while I was doing some research, and I found it really neat. Um, it's called it, it, it comes from um, Hispanic culture. Um, Spanish culture, so Mexico, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, that that kind of thing. Have you heard of cabañuelas? No. So this is a very interesting practice that I came across. Cabañuelas is whenever um, at the beginning of the year, um, farmers would look at the first 31 days of January to predict oh, the I weather don't know what for the rest is. I just don't year. know it by that name. Yes, yes, I understand. Ah, okay. yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. So the first um, 12 days uh, represents the, the, the 12 calendar months, mm-hmm. and then the 13th through the 24th days represent the months in reverse. And then from the 13th, to the 14th, uh, oh, sorry, um, from the 25th to the um, 30th, the days are divided into two parts um, with 12-hour differences. So the first 12 hours starts January, the second 12 hours starts February, until you get to um, oh the 25th day, in which case it goes in reverse. Um, and then... On the last day of January, every hour corresponds with a month in the same way that the 24 months did, so in forward and in reverse action. And the the farmers would use this to plan the rest of their year to plant their crops. Right. So this comes under what I call um, holographic view of the universe. So this is the idea that you can, or a fractal view of the universe. You can break it down smaller and smaller and smaller. I've heard of other variants, but not the one that you just said was much, much mm. more uh, complex. But I've heard that the first 12 days of the year represent the 12 months in terms of the weather. That's a very um, widespread, but this way of breaking it down further and further is like a fractal division. It's very interesting, actually. Um, right. I was, now, I was there, always... I'm told about the first 12 days. But I, when mm-hmm. I found this, it was like, oh, well, you can do the whole year with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So here's a couple of other of these rhymes. This is, um, this is one of these contrariness rhymes, and there are a lot of them that are contrary. So um, as you know, the shortest day of the year is the winter solstice, and but it's not um, – you know, it's technically the beginning of winter. So here's the rhyme for that. When the day lengthens, then the cold strengthens. So it seems contrary. As the days get longer, the temperatures get colder. But there are other um, contrarian ones, and these have often to do with premature warm snaps, like like the groundhog one. So here's mm. another one. If the grass grows in January, it grows the worse for it all the year because that little thaw that you had is not so good, you know, for you. And uh-huh. this, this, by the way, comes from Weather and Folklore of Peterborough and District by 
Charles mm-hmm. Dack, which I also um, have here on on Project Gutenberg, and I hope you all will will look them up because they're interesting um, interesting collections. Um, there's the old one. Um, March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. And there are many. Yeah. Uh, March is considered changeable. And here's some other weather lore about March. March has many weathers. Um, March, the month of many weathers, wildly comes in hail and snow and rain and threatening hums and floods. A wet March makes a sad harvest. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it does. Um, if March comes in smiling and gay, saddle your horses and go and buy hay. In other words, you won't make a, a good hay crop. Now, this mm-hmm. is contrary to the other one. One says a wet March makes a sad harvest. Well, we're not talking maybe about a hay harvest, but if March comes in smiling and gay, in other words, sunny, then it says you're going to have to buy hay. You won't have a good hay crop. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that a lot of these sort of weather phenomena are about predicting other weather phenomena. There's a topic all its own, so we should. I'm going to uh, signpost it here for maybe perhaps a future episode that we can do, in which uh, weather phenomenon is about predicting events. Because divination, there's a variety. There's about predicting weather, which every form of divination in the world has some form of weather prediction, from astrology to geomancy to tarot to whatever. There's always some form of weather prediction. Then weather phenomenon itself is also used to predict other types of weather phenomenon, which is what we've been talking about here whether something is going to win, whether it's going to rain or whether it's going to snow, it's going to be cold, it's going to be warm. But the weather itself can also act as omens for broader events. So maybe this can be a, perhaps a future episode. We can just signpost it here. But for example, rain on your wedding day is an indication of blessing. So it's going to be a long-lasting marriage. It doesn't have anything to do with predicting the weather, but it does have something to do with predicting the future of the marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's um, interesting. I've never heard that. Yeah. I, I just want to give a shout out here to Papa G. Um, he's he's uh, filling up our chat room with, with a whole bunch of really cool Appalachian stuff. I'm just going to uh, throw a couple of them out here audibly. If oak leaves are red in September, there'll be a hard winter. But if oak leaves are green in September, winter will be mild and gentle. And um, that is definitely one I heard when I lived in uh, Missouri. And... Um, um, another one, he said, look closely at tree bark for signs of buckling or twisting. Or this is a sign that severe cold is coming. Absolutely. And um, another one, oh, he, he mentions iambic pentameter. Yes, Papaji, it is. It's iambic pentameter. <laughs> you win a prize. <laughs> um, and um, then in Romania, Balkan Diviner says, Weather in Romania is also linked with the memorable events of life. Weddings and funerals in particular. If it rains during your wedding, mm-hmm. the union will be rich in love and children. Absolutely. I yep. heard that first in the on the eastern side of Italy when we were in a small town which had actually been settled by Albanians. And they, yep. we were in this little town in the 1950s, and we were walking down the street. It began to drizzle, and there was a wedding. And I felt sorry for the people. I said, oh, how sad. They all have to bring out their umbrellas for their wedding. And everyone was laughing and cheering. And my mother said, mm-hmm. no, if it rains on a wedding, the Albanians yep. think it's good. Yep. And Balkan says, if it rains during a funeral, the deceased has left with regrets. It means, yeah, many tears. 
And then um, Papa G says, if oak leaves curl up and fall early in September, then harsh weather will come before Halloween. Okay, so those are some of the other speaking ones. Speaking of that... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of leaves, um, one of the things that I have found that has never failed me is if I go outside, not not just because, you know, I, I'm one of those people like Contramenta that can smell the rain coming. Um, when I go outside and if I look at the trees, the, 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 the leaves will turn their backs up, and that always means there's rain, at least as, as far as I'm concerned and where I live. Every time mm-hmm. I see a tree that has most of its leaves turned backwards, it, 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 even if it's just a sprinkle, there will be rain. <laughs> Right, I get that one. I I I've seen that happen in again in the Midwest and South. Not so much here, um, because as I said, we have the wind come in and then go out. Papa G has another one. If locally grown onions and corn have thicker skins and husks than normal, the more layers you'll need to put on in the coming winter. Now that one I've yeah. certainly heard too. Um, I about heard onions. That That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that one about onions. Not so much about corn. We don't grow a lot of corn here, but we do grow onions. And um, the same thing is um, said that if you'll have to wear more sweaters, just like the poor onions did. Well, speaking of onions, I have another one for that too. Um, there's one that I found that was taking 12 layers of an onion. So you cut an onion that has at least 12 layers in it, and you line them up in a row, one for each month of the year before you go to bed. And when you wake up, the ones that have the most moisture will be the wettest months of the year. Wow, that's a that's a wonderful way to predict. Oh, very cool. Rather than just a mnemonic, you actually have to do something. That's cool. That's very, very cool. Do you know the origin of that one? Um, I can tell you. I can't remember which one of these books I found it in because I didn't make those notes, but I can share the books that I got some of my references from. I'll post them into the chat here and uh, tell you audibly. Um, One is The Treeologist. It's from a um, treeologist, quote-unquote, from Kentucky called Dick Frymeyer, um, and his book is – the Treeologist, Dick Frymeyer's Folkology and Home Remedies. The other one is 1001 Questions Answered About Weather by Frank H. Forrester. And the other one is Irish Cures, Mystic Charms, and Superstitions by Lady Wild. I want to say that I got this specific one from the Treeologist's book um, by Dick Frymeyer. That's cool. That's cool. Um, Here's a, a very magical one that um, uh, I had not heard before, and this is English. If a maid hears a cuckoo on the 1st of May and takes off her left shoe, she will find inside a hair the color of her future husband's hair. Girls used to get up early on May morning and go into the country and wait to hear the cuckoo. Never heard of that one before. Mm. Hearing, huh. hearing animals is, a, is another very old-timey way of predicting weather. Frogs, for example, is very famous. You can hear a lot of frogs croaking. That will bring rain very shortly. Uh, there's a whole tradition of how frogs are rain, rain bringers themselves. They're a spirit that summons the rain, so there's sort of magical acts that are done with frogs. But frogs are another way that people can predict the coming of rain is a type of forecast when you can hear the frogs croaking uh, in large numbers, rain is coming. 
That's a yeah. That's um, a, um, a one that I've heard. Frogs bring rain. Frogs predict rain. And yep. frogs, um, yeah. Um, so we've got a little bit more time left. I'd kind of like to switch gears a little bit and maybe talk a, about a few maybe uh, spells that we could do to, like um, ooh, we were talking yeah. about, either you know avoid bad weather or bring good weather. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one that uh, I found that was really neat, so I'll go ahead and start with that, is that um, there is a... Uh, tradition in um, India where they take a clay figure of Ganesha down to the river at a certain time to return him to his palace in, in, in you know, the, the other world. Um, I want to say that's during Diwali. Um, and I found something that was very similar in a Japanese Shinto um, tradition where Shinto priests will have a procession of people behind them um, playing various instruments like horns and drums and Mm -hmm. things like that while they carry a clay dragon effigy that represents the dragon god um, down to the local water source to immerse it into the water and return the the dragon god to his seat or his throne so that therefore he Mm -hmm. can bring rain whenever there is none during drought. Oh, oh that's... yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of traditions around putting things in water. I, uh, what people may not know about me is I absolutely love weather magic. It's one of my fortes. Uh, I've been uh, doing weather magic since I was a kid, <laughs> since I was a child. I absolutely love it, and I think it's phenomenal. One of the oldest traditions I was taught how to whistle up storms and wind, uh, which is found Ooh. both in Northern European traditions but also in the Near East, uh, it's called summoning the gin storms. And so you can, depending on the pitch and tone of your whistle, you can call, conjure up a breeze, you can summon up a gale storm, or you can make it really, really agitated. I remember when I was a kid, I would practice actually in the schoolyard trying to create mini sandstorms out of the sandbox by using the whistle <laughs> that I was taught. So it's a very old-timey way of working, and it's found, it's interesting because it's found both in Northern European magic, but also as well as in Middle Eastern and North African magic, where you can whistle up the gin to cause various storms. But also the summoning of rain, the splitting of storms in hoodoo. Hoodoo is quite fascinating in this regard that Weather magic is found quite a ubiquitous around the folk, the folk practices around the world. Hoodoo has a few of them, but it is not what I consider uh, weather heavy when it comes to magic. There's uh, traditions about causing rain. There's traditions about uh, stopping storms. But I think part of the reason is that because hoodoo becomes very urbanized and it is deeply tied to the experience of people both in the rural cities, both in small rural villages, but also in, in large cities, that you don't have as heavy of a, of a weather focus. But the, it does exist. One of the old, famous old-timey is the splitting of a storm. That if a storm is coming your way, particularly tornadoes or gale storms, that you can take a knife, and you're to us told two different traditions, and threaten the storm with with the knife and it will park the storm around your property so that it doesn't destroy it. Or you're supposed to stab the uh, knife into the ground and it will park the storm around your property. So threatening a storm or parting the storm is a very old-timey, down-south uh, root work tradition. 
Oh, that's neat. I'm familiar with the stabbing into the ground, but I hadn't heard of the threatening one. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's a very cool one. You, you threaten. Yeah, it. that is cool. I, I just want to give a, a shout-out here to Balkan Diviner, who has come up with something that's a little bit difficult for me to understand. Um, but it says, in Romania, the method of choosing your baba, your old woman in English, depends on your birthday. Now, this baba is going to be a day in May, and I think then that weather on that day in May is going to predict your year, as far as I understand this. So if your birthday is between the 1st and 9th of any month, then the baba will be on that day. For instance, born on August 16th, your baba will be 6th of March. If the date of birth is two digits, then you have to, uh, like December 23rd, you have to calculate by doing uh, the addition of the two digits, 2 plus 3 is 5, and so your baba is March 5th. So then any bright or sunny days, if your baba is on a bright sunny day, you will have happiness, luck, and abundance. But if your baba or old lady day is cold, rainy, and snowy, that means you will have tears, troubles, poverty, and unfulfillment. Ooh. That's a very complex... I've never heard of that one. That one... Yeah. yeah, I'm. I want to give. A, I hope I interpreted that correctly, Balkan Diviner. Um, uh, and thank you so much for being in our chat and coming all the way from Romania and staying up, God knows what hours of the day or night, to be in our chat. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And your knowledge of folklore is great. And your name, Balkan Diviner, is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I want to mention a real quick prayer ahead, for people who are in, who are interested in bringing rain uh, if you pray from Genesis 7 the verses all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the rain was upon the earth uh, it will bring down uh, rains the next day the actual verses in the 600 year of Noah's life and the second month and 17th day of the month and the same day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened up that's the full verse but I was told you only read the second verse because you don't want you're not invoking Noah here but simply all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open then followed with and the rain was upon the earth you pray that before you go to bed and the next morning when you wake up you'll have rain wow that's that's i think that's too. very interesting because i saw a uh, in a in a following chapter <laughs> because i did some some bible research here too to try to find some good mm. uh, verses for this as well um one for stopping the rain that i think is in directly related to the one you just gave and that's uh chapter 8 verse 1 and god remembered noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. That's good. I got confirmation a... in, in the chat from Pelican Diviner that I did interpret that correctly, <laughs> um, and that it's 1.53 a.m. in Romania. <laughs> oh, Wow. Thank you for staying up. Thank you, Polka Diviner. <laughs> we should mention, too, I that uh, the ca- falling of rain is actually pretty common. Uh, one of the It's also tied in, in not just folklore, but in traditional talismanic magic. The moon, in particular, is associated with all sorts of rain magic, uh, both protection in the sea as well as the calming of the seas and the raising up of storms. For example, the sixth pentacle of the moon which is also associated with that verse, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if, I, if I remember my 
Yeah, I think it is. But the sixth pentacle, the moon, uh, if you inscribe it on silver and place it in water and recite the verses I just mentioned, will also bring about rain. Wow. That's neat. There's a there's an awful lot about calling up wind and calling up yep, rain yep. Um, that that uh, has a lot to do with um, again local lore. Everybody's world is not the same as everybody else's world. Right. And um, another um, one of that's a caller of rain is the American cuckoo, which is known as the rain crow. Now, how it got the name rain crow when it's called a cuckoo is confusing to me. Probably it's a throwback to a Native American name for this bird, the rain crow. And it's the particularly the yellow-bellied cuckoo. And it is believed that if you hear them call, they will they are calling up rain for you. But you can also imitate their call and call up rain if you want to. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. There's a really old tradition of tying up storms, too. Knot magic is associated with weather magic. This comes out mm-hmm. of the European tradition of hiring a witch to create knots for you, what are known as storm knots. And these knots are tied to ensure that your ship has safety uh, and that you're able to travel the seas without being accosted by a storm. But that if you need to, you can start to unknot the knots one by one, and that will release some of the winds and storms that were tied up. You can find a similar tradition in the Greek mythology with the idea of the winds that are caught in the actual jar. It's also found in North African magic as well. What you do is you catch what's known as the tails of the storm gin, and you're supposed to catch three of them. You knock them, and that ensures that you will have safety as you travel. But if, for example, the winds die completely, you can unknot one of the knots, and that will ensure a very strong breeze that will allow it to come. If you need a stronger breeze, then you unknot the second one. And if you are set upon by dangerous ships, then you unknot the third one, unleash a storm on all of you, and everyone goes down. That's that's lovely. Um, and then that reminds me of the uh, Nordic um, idea that you can make labyrinths. These are pebble labyrinths mm-hmm. in what are called the Celtic pattern. And you do that to keep the winds close to the shore so that you can go out to sea and go fishing without being caught in a storm. So you run around and gather up the wind and then run into the labyrinth with a sack that you gather the wind up into, tie it closed, put it at the beginning of the labyrinth, at the center of the labyrinth and say, stay there while I'm out fishing so that the storm cannot come out to sea. Oh, All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's go on to our next segment. Thank you so much, James. Absolutely. All right, support for this program is provided by Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com. And by the Association of Independent Readers and Rootworkers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic client were entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted rootworker instantly, call 188 for Hoodoo or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to today's client, 
Um, our client is Miss Moody in area code 631. Miss Moody is unavailable to be on the air, but I can read her conditions. Um, she says, when I was around uh, 15 or 16, I saw a dark shadow in my room and I woke up screaming. Uh, it felt like this entity had taken over me. It was talking through me to other people, and I want to know what it was and why it happened. This uh, Miss Moody also said that she has had readings before um, with uh, with Cat and others, but not on this issue. Turning over to you, Miss. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to turn this over to Contraman to do the first reading. Okay. I'm happy to. Uh, Miss Moody is not here with us, though, right? Right. Uh, I was going to ask her what her sign of the zodiac was. Uh, the uh, she's a Gemini. In fact, um, Nagashiva just posted in the chat. She is a graduate student, and she is a Gemini. Okay, great. That's that's fantastic to know. Um, I think in. Uh, whenever you experience a sudden waking up and you see some type of visitation or entity, you should take it seriously. Uh, sometimes we can, we can sort of dismiss the uh, events of sleep and go, okay, that was just, you know, a result of an unusual diet or, or extra cheese before I went to bed. But when you, it's an instance where it wakes you up and you feel like you've lost control, whether it comes in the form of a night terror or it comes in the form of, of a creature perched on your body or sleep paralysis um, or where, whether it appears in this instance where an entity seems to have almost taken control, uh, it should be taken seriously. It is an indication that some, uh, there's some form of spiritual bond. So even if this entity is no longer around, even before I do the reading, there will need to be some type of cleansing done, some type of cutting of a cord, some type of act to remove the entity, something to, to kind of cleanse, to purify, and to move things in the right direction. So I've pulled a, a few cards here to see what the situation reveals to us. Um, and there are a couple things that stand out quite strongly. First, none of the cards are the devil, the tower, or any of the sort of overtly destructive cards. A, a good indication indicating that while the experience was traumatic and while the experience was a form of spiritual violation, if you will, that um, that this may not have been a full-on demonic possession, we'd say. So there are some mitigating factors in regards to what we see in the cards. However, the very first card that we have is the Seven of Swords. And the Seven of Swords shows us an individual who's walking away, stealing away from a camp, several swords. There's five in their hands, two that are being left behind, and they're looking over their shoulder. They're a thief that has come in broad daylight, and they're sneaking away. When this card appears, particularly as the first card, it always is an indication that there's more to the situation than has been revealed. There's more to the situation than the reader knows. It doesn't necessarily mean, for me at least, that the person asking the question is being dishonest, but it does mean that there's more going on here, and that we're not in position of the full fact, that there's going to be some form of clarity work, clarification work, some type of honest transparency that needs to be done. This might come in the form of doing some form of, of spiritual journaling, some form of spiritual 
um, meditation or something to sort of go, I need to get the full facts or even clarity work, working with Bay leaves, for example, to bring about some form of clarification is needed. The next card is the moon card. The moon card shows us the lunar figure uh, high above, below, or two canines that are howling up as a crawdaddy climbs out of the primordial waters, and there are two pillars in off into the distance. The moon governs dreams and delusions and illusions. It governs our emotions. It governs our past. It governs our traumas. It governs the unconscious. It governs it all. In this state is an indication that there was a spiritual contact that happened. It is a thing of the past, but that the past continues to haunt the present. So even if the entity is no longer around, there's an indication that the influence of the entity is still being felt. There's some type of haunting that's happening here. We would say this is the ghost of a haunting, not really a full-on haunting, but there's a hint of something that still remains. It lingers, and that lingering is important because it needs to be removed. Unless that lingering is removed, it will continue to shape your way, your life and your emotions in almost imperceptible ways. So there's ways in which this influence is appearing that may not always be readily apparent, that may not always be obvious. Like you're not waking up and having poltergeist phenomenon, perhaps. But you're waking up and perhaps... This experience that happened with your child plays in the back of your mind. Maybe it makes you more distrustful of your ancestors. Or maybe it makes you more distrustful in your relationship. Or maybe it causes you to be cautious in your life in a way that you don't need to be. But it's there. It's in the backdrop. It's in the back of your mind. It percolates. It simmers. It's there and it must be dealt with. Only by dealing with it with the full light of the sun can we remove ourselves from the darkness that we see in this particular card. So it's not a bad card. But both of these cards are really speaking to the need to get to the truth, the need to get to some form of honesty, the need to confront the situation full on and not to let it linger in the past. The final card is the Ace of Wands, and it shows us the hand of God reaching out with the rod of Aaron, handing it as an act of power. You have the power to turn your life around. You have the power to deal with this matter. I do get a strong sense from the Ace of Wands that you probably already have some intuitive ability, some magical ability, whether you're an actual practitioner or not. I'm not sure, but the Ace of Wands indicates that you have what it takes to change what's going on here. Working in particular with uh, air and fire are going to be crucial for you, working with some type of elemental balance between them. Incense and candles is going to be crucial for this work. We have swords on one side, we have wands on the other. So incense and fire is going to be really important for this type of work. But that once you perform a form of cleansing and purification, you will find that your life will take new directions and new opportunities will come your way. And in particular, you may find that your spiritual abilities will blossom in this moment, that you will find your yourself as the author of your own life in a way you may not have even realized before. So the outcome here is quite positive, but it does require a bit of digging down into the depths and recesses of your past and your mind before you're finally able to rise up strong and powerful. With that, I'm going to turn it over. You're going to get one more reading, and then Miss Cat is going to come in and give you some root work at the end. Thank you, Conjure Man. Um, I, I'm reading the tarot today, and <clears throat> I've pulled three cards. Um, the first card is the Eight of uh, Cups upright, and it shows a um, a man walking up the side of 
a small little hill next to a bunch of pools of water and and um, off of uh, the the rocks from a shore. And in the sky, it's it's very clear sky, but it's the sun and the moon together. And um, what this card to me signifies is that you kind of maybe in in this young um, time that you uh, maybe had dabbled with magic. I mean, a lot of the people, um, I I believe um, Ms. Kat said that you were a student of hers. And so most people that practice nowadays had had at least dabbled in in um, in their earlier life. And I feel like you might have dabbled a little bit with something and maybe that's where this connection with this entity was made. Um, and the next card that I have is, um, ironically enough, the Ace of Wands, um, the same one as Conjure Man, but it's reversed. Um, that's kind of telling me that um, you may have lost your, your direction. You weren't sure what to do, and that's why um, this thing kind of latched onto you and, and held on for a little bit. Um, you, you're, you're asking about it now, and it seems as though maybe you don't have um, a, a really strong connection with it anymore, but it's still something that nags at you, which is why you're asking the question today. Um, so I feel like the last card here, the Two of Cups, says that um, you you came to a point to where you um, started learning more. You maybe met a mentor. Um, it could have been uh, whenever you started taking the Miss Cat's class that the the influence of this spirit or whatnot maybe had lessened um in the two of cups we have a a a, a, a lion's face with um wings coming out of it and uh the mercury's staff i'm not really i keep forgetting what it's called in english um caduceus yes thank you um and that and that's representative of healing and 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 um removing and and becoming healthy and and having these things removed from you. So I feel like if nothing else, you may have gotten rid of this entity uh, in the past, but you still have some negative attachment to it, which could um, still need to be removed and and sloughed off. Um, That's pretty much what I have for you. I think you've done a good job of learning and, uh, and it was just a simple mistake in your past that you may have opened a door that you weren't aware of, and that's how this thing got in. And um, as you learned more and, and, and maybe got this mentor, maybe somebody was doing work for you, that the, the, the influence of this spirit lessened over time, but you still have that connection that still may need to be uh, removed. All right. That's very interesting, and the fact that both of you got the Ace of Wands, one upright and one reversed, is interesting to me as well. Um, And um, two of these cards, if I understood them correctly, have a sun-moon conjunctions or eclipses on them, the moon card. And the, what was the other one, the Eight of Cups, correct? Yes. Um, So... This is um, this is interesting to me. So what I'm looking at here in these things, and the fact that the first card was that trickster thief sneak card, says to me that this was a an entity of not great power who scared the bejesus out of you, but um, really was not, you know, 
the devil incarnate or anything like that. Um, it's a it's a trickster spirit and a but a, and a wicked one. But it's good for you to put up watchtowers. It's good for you to um, do something about this, and cleansing surely would be part of that. I'd like you to to start with, and, and since you are a graduate of my course and you know how to do this stuff, I'd like you to start with a simple bath. But take, let's look at the moon significances here. It's interesting to me that you just asked about this right after an eclipse had happened. And we also had the occultation of Mars um, uh, and in the moon. So uh, I'm looking for some, uh, maybe wait until the next eclipse is going to happen. They, they come along fairly frequently and do it then. Um, I'm, I'm looking for you to do some kind of a cleansing work when, um, if, if not an eclipse, at least at the um, new moon, uh, when the moon is about to grow in strength, or at the full moon when um, they, they're opposed to each other and um, the moon will be waning in strength. You might want to do this twice, that's what I'm trying to say. There's some, something about lunar timing with, this, with these cards, right? And again, as, as a student, graduate of mine, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. I think you're going to want to do a bath. And um, I don't need to give you too many details of what such a bath should include, but I would use a, a bath that includes, um, of course, water, because we have the moon and we have all these water emblems. And I would also say prayers over the bath water, because we had the card of swords. And I would also maybe put in um, a, a bit of some cleansing herbs like lemongrass, mint, rue. Those are a good set. And you can pick your own, of course. Maybe a bit of salt, Epsom salts, and maybe even a little bit of saltpeter. So three little minerals and three herbs. And, um, and bathe in that. And then set a candle because we had uh, the um, Ace of Wands, which is candle magic. And set a candle... And I would put that candle out deliberately. And what I mean by that is first it was shown by Conjurman to be upright, and then it was shown by James to be reversed, and that is the quenching of the candle. So I would use the candle to attract this spirit. Whoever you were, come here, come to the light, and then put the candle out in your bath water. Take your bath water and throw it out away from your property. So... If you have any, uh, you, since you're not here, I can't ask you to understand what I said, but I think you do because you're a graduate of my course. And that's how I would handle this particular work. I, I feel that it is a remnant from your past. It is not something that is horribly with you now, but you did well to bring it up, and it's interesting that you brought it up at the time of this eclipse having just happened. So... Um, do you have anything to add to this, Conjurman or James? I have a one brief suggestion here. Um, first of all, I just want to uh, once more uh, marvel at Miss Cat's brilliance there. I love the way that you use the wands to interpret the snuffing out of a candle, the deliberate <laughs> acting of putting it. That's, a, that's what we call really good spell crafting there. So that's great. Um, uh, the only you. thing I would suggest here is a little bit of incense work. Um, I would love if you can get some jinx killer incense and then use that incense. Set it up 
and a small censer or thurible at your feet. Stand over it, allowing the incense to sort of waft over your body. And then take a fresh pair of scissors or even a knife and just very lightly cut around yourself as if you were cutting cords or cut. If you have a knife, you can just sort of scrape. Don't scrape yourself, your body, but scrape around like you're taking something off. And what this will do is the combination of the, the knife and the incense will break any attachment that has been created. If this entity is a trickster or a parasite, they might be sort of siphoning something off of you. And this is one way to cut all of that. You will then take the knife with you, uh, along with the ashes of the incense, to the crossroads, bury the knife, dispose of the incense at the crossroads, walk away without looking back, and walk back home or come back home by taking a different route. That's the only addition I would give you. Well, that's that's a good one too. <laughs> I Absolutely, like that. yeah. Um, the only thing I have to say is that you know, Miss Cat, that was really interesting. I learned something from you every day that we talk. Um, and um, Conjure Man really rounded out the rest of that work with the the incense. I think that's a great um, start to get this person back on the right track. Yeah, and. Um, one other thing, Miss um, Moody, since you are a graduate of the course, you might also want to, um, if you want some more personal instructions, because you're entitled to it as a course member and graduate, there is a section of the Lucky Mojo Forum that is for students and student graduates only, a private part of the forum, and I know you know what it is, and I know you know how to get there. And um, after you hear this segment, uh, go ahead and post. You have a thread named after yourself. Uh, everybody does. Everyone who's a student has their own personal thread. And there also are threads. Um, if you don't want to post in your personal thread, you can post in one of the lesson threads that has to do with um, clearing, bathing, crossing, uh, excuse me, uncrossing cross conditions. So you'll, you know pretty well where that stuff is, and we'll, I'll pitch in and give you some other advice. My feeling about this entity, and I'm going to repeat it, is that this was a minor spirit lying about how important they were. That card that Contraman got is very interesting for that reason. It's like some, uh, some little imp that says, I am the great Lord Satan. You know, not, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like it lied about its, its authority and position to scare you, a child. And such um, minor demons, jinns, imps, and uh, negative entities uh, often will stay with us if we don't renounce them and dispose of them properly. And I think that's one of the things that both Conjurman and James were talking about is you have to actually, instead of just casting your mind back and going, what was that anyway? You actually have to get rid of it because it's just like having a, a tick or a flea on you. You know, it's just, it's just parasitizing you in a minor way. All right. Thank you, guys. That was great. And, um, and uh, thanks for all the compliments on my interpretation. That was sweet of you. All right, it's time for our network schedule announcement, followed by the free spell. So here it comes.
The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Reverend James of FolkConjure.com in North Carolina. Take it away, Reverend James. All right. So this little spell that I found comes from a Japanese tradition. It is called Hiyori Bozu or Teru Teru Bozu. What you will need is one small square of white fabric, about five inches or larger. It could be about, about the size of a handkerchief. Some type of stuffing, such as a cotton ball or cotton batting or some extra material that you have a string, a cord, twine, or a rubber band, sake, or other clear grain alcohol, and a black Sharpie. So this is also something very small and simple that you can omit the sake for to do with your children as well. Um, Just a little background, teru teru bozu is um, Japanese for roughly shine, shine monk, or good weather, good weather monk, and Hiyoribozu is uh, translated as good weather priest or good weather monk. Uh, The ritual originated in the Edo period in Japan, and these were made with white material before desired good weather days. So you would do this the day before you want good weather. And you're going to be creating a small little doll that is purported to bring good weather and sunshine and prevent rain. What you need to do is take the small square of fabric and put some of your stuffing into the center of the fabric. Gather up the corners like you're making the flying comet style mojo or in the style of like a napkin ghost that you do for Halloween. Use your string or whatever you have to secure the stuffing inside the cloth. Turn it over and hang it head up just outside your main door over the door frame, or if the eaves of your house or porch are low enough, you can hang it there or on the outside of your windows. Farmers in Japan hang them in their eaves, windows, and doorways. When you hang it, there's a little song or chant called Hiyori Goi, uh, or Prayer for Fair Weather, that rhymes, at least in Japanese, that goes along with it, that translates to something similar to the following Teru teru bozu, teru bozu, do make tomorrow a sunny day. Like the sky in a dream sometime. If it's sunny, I'll give you a golden bell. Some say silver bell. The second line is teru teru bozu, teru bozu, do make tomorrow a sunny day. If you make my wish come true, we'll drink lots of sweet rice wine. And the last line is teru teru bozu, teru bozu, do make tomorrow a sunny day, but if the clouds are crying, then I shall snip off your head. And this is a little um, chant that little kids will do in Japan 
for when they want to have a good day the next day and go out and play, but they suspect that there's going to be rain. They'll make these little dolls and they'll hang them outside. Farmers do it as well, specifically for whenever they're having too much rain or not enough, which we'll get to in just a moment. Um, there is also a prayer for rain, which is called amagoi. And to do that, you just simply turn it upside down and hang it. There's, there's a similar tradition, and this separates between north and south of, the, of Japan, where instead of the chant, the chant is simply omitted for the hiyori gori, which is the prayer for good weather, and for the amagoi, or the prayer for rain, it is made with black fabric instead. Once you complete the spell and you hang it out, if the teru teru bozu comes through for you, there are two different traditions as well. One, if he comes through for you and gives you what you want, you draw a face on him, offer him, quote, unquote, holy sake. Um, so you just say a simple blessing over your rice wine or your, your grain alcohol, and you can send him down the river as a thank you. Or two, this is my preference, is that if he comes through for you and you, um, you draw a face on him, offer the holy sake to the gods, and you pour the sake in the river. And that way, you can keep your teru teru bozu again since he came through for you the first time and use it again. And this is also a great way for whenever there's bad weather and things like that, that if you have small children that you're teaching them magical traditions, this is a good way to help them feel a little bit safer seeing that little shine, shine monk in the window warding off that bad weather. Wow. And that's that it. is that is really, really cool. Um, and Shiva just made a, a very neat connection here. Draw a face on him is comparable to the Dharma dolls, which are called Daruma dolls, where you have the Daruma doll, and if they come through with your wish, you paint eyes on them. Yes, so, you paint one eye whenever you make your wish, and then when he comes through, you paint in the other eye. You give him all of that's his That's right. Mm. So this idea <laughs> of painting a face or painting in the eyes is um, a form of making it have a place in our world, making it more real in our world, rewarding them with eyes to see, to be in our world. Very, very interesting. Um, uh, wow, what an interesting idea. Um the funny thing is, this is you said this is Japanese, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I actually have a childhood memory of this, and I'm not Japanese. Um, when I was a kid, my mother uh, didn't speak English well enough to go to the University of California, so they condemned her, that was her words, to go to Fresno State College, which wasn't a university, until she learned English, and then she could come back and go to um, University of California in Berkeley. So we were, quote, exiled, my mother's word, to Fresno, where we lived next door to some Japanese folks. And uh, the woman who was there was also studying library science along with my mother, and they became very good friends. Her name was Yuri Kyrgaku. And she made just exactly that kind of a little doll. Now, I don't oh, wow. remember what, yeah, I don't remember what she said, but she had, or she was not married yet. She was fairly young. She had nieces and nephews, and her um, father was the 
priest of the local so-called Buddhist church, which was a Pure Land Buddhism um, sect temple. <laughs> and the nieces and nephews were my age, so she was always inviting them over, and we all played together. And she showed us how to make this. But I didn't remember the Japanese words. I was just a kid. But that's just amazing that you brought that memory back to me and, and gave it. It wasn't just some strange thing that Yuri Kyrgyzku did. I'm so glad that you could add to it with your, your past experience. That's really neat. I would have loved yeah. to have learned it hand, hand, you know, hands-on from someone in person. And right. I, I well, do want I was quite old play. enough to learn the whole thing, but I remember her making it and thinking, this is so funny, you know. It was just it was cute, you know. It was just a cute thing. And it was. It was just a little like a little uh, napkin ghost sort of shape, a little, you know. Yep. That's right. And I want to I want to pop into the chat real quick um, a link to a YouTube video that is this chant sung in Japanese, if any of those are interested oh, very in learning. Cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, um, uh, fabulous. Nagashiva says, board malfunction. Music should be starting. I can't hear it. I may have to restart mm. the board. Music is on. And Papa G says, we can't hear either. Yeah, Shiva. I hear nothing. I hear nothing. He's restarting the whole board. Please give mm. Clifford his cue. Take it away, mm. Clifford. <laughs> thank you, Miss Cat and Conjure Man, and thank you, Reverend James of PhilConjure.com in North Carolina for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest with Papa G of MojoStudio.com in Nashville, Tennessee, on adding creativity and artistry to your spell work. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forest Hill, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo forum at forum.luckymojo.com and conjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjuremanconjureman
it's, uh, it's Papa G and the Reverend. It's a new band. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, John St. Germain. Oh, he's a Reverend, too, Reverend Dr. John St. Germain. Um, and I guess Reverend Cat, that's me. Uh, we're planning the next Hoodoo Heritage Festival, and we have some great things lined up, and we will be giving you more information very soon. You can look for this by following either AIR, the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, on Facebook or Instagram. You can also follow Lucky Mojo on Facebook or Instagram because we rebroadcast everything that AIR has to say because, you know, we are their allies and upholders. And you can also probably find some of these at Hoodoo Psychics. Uh, com. There'll be some links there have been added to the Hoodoo Workshops site. And so we want you to kind of get wrapped up in this because it's pretty good information, pretty good stuff. And other than that, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Right. Good night, all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.